Snap Studios. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. When we, here at the Snap Judgment, were preparing for this show, which is a stunning episode, by the way. I can't wait for you to hear it. One of our producers, whose name, Regina Bediaco, I will not mention, she said to me that given the show deals with one person's struggle with weight, perhaps I should start with a personal story of my own journey. What do you mean? And she said, well, you know, you know how you're, um, you know, no, I don't know. What is it, Regina Bediaco, you're trying to say? Well, just that you aren't a stranger to a robust body type. How dare you? Are you trying to call me fat? No, 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 no. Just that you would understand. Oh, now I'm fat enough to understand fatness? Is that what you're trying to say? And she said, please don't use this conversation as the opening of the show. I assured her that of course I wouldn't. But the fact that we're too scared even to say the word fat to each other is something I will also avoid mentioning in the open. I'll just say this. You should know that this episode does get heavy. In more ways than one. Snap Judgment probably presents Wait For It. Wait For It. My name is Glenn Washington, and that sound you hear is me refusing to loosen up another notch on my belt when you're listening to Snap Judgment. guest today. I met him a long while back. Good dude. One of those guys you wish you lived closer to. And you think you have a good sense of someone. Who they are. How they think. Then they lay themselves bare in a highly personal podcast that touches on one of the most visceral subjects of all. Fatness. Weight. Body appearance. And you realize There are so many, many layers to this onion that is Ronald Young Jr. His podcast, Wait For It, is a show that deals with how we see our bodies. Losing weight, gaining weight, eating disorders, weight stigma. And if these topics are triggering to you, please take care while listening. Because today, Ronald, he tells us just a little bit of his story. Step Judgment. 
As a church teenager, I often felt the allure of wanting to just be a teen, but was riddled with the guilt of doing the wrong thing. I didn't feel free to explore my youth. I snuck in all of my firsts. My first kiss was after school while waiting on the late bus. My second real kiss was after a bad concert in the hallway while teachers and parents were milling about in the auditorium. So college was going to be quite the opportunity for me, and I was eager to get out of my parents' house. When I arrived in college in 2002, I was a very different Ronald. I was 5'9 and 200 pounds. I was often described as stocky, but never fat. I had created a list of standards for an imaginary woman that I would meet, fall in love with, marry, and then lose my virginity to. They had to be black, with a nice body, good-looking, church-going, high-achieving, supportive of my ideologies and goals, family-minded, you know, a wife type. That's who I was supposed to be with. Then, I met Caitlin. We met in class. Um, I think you took a liking to me right away. Caitlin had long brown hair, a face full of freckles, and a cute smile. We were in English 101 together. We met during the first two weeks of school at Virginia Commonwealth University, or VCU, in Richmond, Virginia. We were constantly talking and laughing together in class. I remember I liked your energy. Um, You were very out there, very boisterous, you got attention, Um, you spoke up, you weren't shy, I liked that. Um, I thought you were cute. We discovered that we lived in the same dorm building, and while I don't remember the exact moment that started it, I do remember that we started hooking up. It was great. We would talk on AIM, remember AIM? And I would go from my third floor room to her seventh floor room and more firsts for me would happen. This was all very exciting for me because we really liked each other and we had great chemistry, both in our conversations and physically. When it was just the two of us, it was great. We, you know, we got along, we were compatible, I think. Our sense of humor worked well together. And it did. But this isn't a love story. You'd always sneak down to my room. You'd always be late, you know, or when you could sneak down there um, when nobody else was around, even my roommates or my friends. Like, you didn't want them to know either because then it would get out. Caitlin was fat. And I didn't want anyone to know that I was attracted to her. About two weeks before I met Caitlin, before classes even started, I became friends with a group of guys who mostly all lived in my dorm. We were always ranking the girls. Who was the hottest physically? Who compared against who? All of that. Being 18, that bit of comparison can get messy. It's not as refined as, she's not my type, or I prefer brunettes. What actually ended up happening was, ew, her? Are you serious? To be attracted to someone fat was an indicator that something was wrong with you. You weren't normal. When I met Caitlin, I was immediately attracted to her, even before we started talking. Her weight was a non-issue for me, but talking to and hanging out with my friends had an impact on me. I really wanted to fit in, to be a normal guy hanging with the fellas. So despite really liking Caitlin and loving how she made me feel, she fell short of the standards I set for myself. 
even though our, our groups didn't really, like we didn't really associate, but, um, you know, when we'd see each other in public and you were with your, your guys or I was out, there was no real interaction how we normally would alone. I was used to keeping secrets, especially about anything I'd done sexually. In high school, there was always the risk of my parents finding out. But now I didn't want my friends to find out. Maybe I had talked to her too long in the dining hall, or maybe they caught us exchanging glances on the patio of the dorm. But once they noticed that some connection between us existed, the teasing began. There was random laughter and not explaining what was funny. Then her name became a bit of a trump card in our conversations. If we were talking about women and I said anything, that someone would mention her name or, but you like them bigger, don't you, Ron? And everyone would laugh. And the problem wasn't just the teasing, but I wasn't exactly sure what I was supposed to do with it. I never felt like we were laughing together. And despite them saying, hey, man, we're just kidding. I never exactly knew how I was supposed to be in a relationship when everyone seemingly close to me was making fun of me for being in it. So are uh, you and the village people going to the reunion? And by village people, I mean your There was a television show out in those days in one of its earlier seasons called The League. It depicted a group of adult friends who played in a fantasy football league together. Generally, it was a bunch of horrible people being horrible to each other. But there was one episode about their high school reunion in which this exchange happens. You know, this guy in high school, he loved bigger girls. I don't know what he's talking about. You know, he used to call this guy in high school, he used to call him the herdsman. Because the girls were so big, they actually resembled actual cattle. He didn't run around. I remember when this episode came out because me and my friends used to watch it. And one of them suggested that they started using that nickname, the herdsman, for me. It was kind of a running joke. Ronald likes fat girls. I tried to hide Caitlin. I only saw her at night. I tried to limit my time around her if I thought I would run into friends. But despite my best or worst efforts, my friends knew. And every chance they got, they teased me for it. As freshman year continued, Caitlin and I spent a lot of time together. But eventually that time began to dwindle as we focused on other things like going to class and maintaining our friendships with other folks. I actually left freshman year with a 3.2. So I did well, I went to class, I was on campus. And so I had this group of girls, we were really close. uh, And we decided we're all gonna move in together. We found a place. By our sophomore year in 2003, Caitlin had moved off campus. Caitlin and I talked, and sometimes still hooked up, but not as regularly. By that time, I felt a little more adjusted to college life. I went to class most of, like, maybe a couple weeks, maybe a month or so, Um, and then I just stopped going. My insecurities of walking into a room and finding a seat Everybody's staring at me because I was a big girl and I just was so embarrassed of how I looked and being out in public. That self-confidence was just super low. Um, So I stopped going to class. I stayed in the house and was a homebody. Um, And then grades started coming in. Um, And I, you know, I was going to get my shit together and I didn't. And then I had, I had to, VCU asked me to leave. 
I didn't realize Caitlin had left school until one time I texted and she mentioned that she was gone. She said she was taking a semester off, but she didn't come back. I went back up to my parents in Maryland and online dating was easy and I was shy and I didn't do the bars because I didn't drink at that time, really, um, hardly at all. And so I met a man that put all this stuff that he was so great out there and come to find out he was a drug addict who was living with his mom and um, was abusive and stole and cheated, all kinds of stuff. Um, but I still couldn't let go of that because he showed me the, the love that I felt I needed at that time. My mom wanted to go to like this conference, I guess. They were putting on a presentation and I went with her and I was 20 years old, really young, but I was very heavy. I was at my heaviest and she was going for her. So I was just there to support. Um, and the doctor saw me and, and he kind of pulled us both aside and we were all talking and I was basically a perfect candidate. Um, my BMI was super high. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I had no other health issues. I got approved for weight loss surgery. Turn, Caitlin, the young lady our host Ronald only loved in secret. She contemplates making a major life change. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Snap Judgment, the Wait For It episode. When last we left, Caitlin, Ronald's former secret girlfriend, is going through it. Dropped out of school, living with her parents, struggling with her sense of self-worth. That's when she meets a doctor who proposes what for her is a radical plan. Snap Judgment. I wanted the surgery to look good. I wanted to look good because I thought it would make me feel good on the inside. And I had the surgery. I'm losing weight like crazy. Like I dropped weight so quick because I was, you know, in great health, young, active. I knew I looked good. And I knew I was like, this was the person I was meant to be. This is what I should have looked like all along. And then I decide I don't want to live with my parents anymore. I got a job at a restaurant and I looked great and I was skinny and I was young and pretty. Like my body finally matched my face, I felt like. I watched all this unfold on Facebook. Seeing that Caitlin had lost a lot of weight made me feel even more guilty about the way I treated her when she was fat. Some of this was me projecting. By this time, it was around 2007 and I had just left college. I was thinking about my own weight all the time because I wasn't as small as I used to be, and people loved to remind me. I remember at church this one time, one of the mothers stopped me and said, how could you get so round? Another one stopped my mom and said, you need to put that boy on a diet. By 2008, Caitlin had lost 130 pounds, met a Marine, and married him. Every time I saw her pictures, it felt like she was saying to me, I'm not a secret anymore. My outlook on life was quite different than what it used to be. 
I didn't feel like I had much direction. And with every pound I gained, I started to feel a palpable sense of shame. Not just from looking in the mirror, but also from everyone around who kept reminding me that I was gaining weight. By 2016, I was fully a fat person and struggling with that realization. I thought about weight the same way I thought about race. In moments of rejection or exclusion as a black person, race always came up in my mind. It was a regular running background anxiety in my head. Did I not get the job because I'm black? Are they staring at me because I'm black? What does it mean that I'm the only black guy here? And after a breakup, the ultimate rejection, there were similar questions, but all about my weight. Would it have happened like this to a smaller person? Did they give me a shot because of my personality and then couldn't get over how fat I was? If I weren't fat, could this have gone the distance? It seemed like everywhere I looked, people were finding the love of their lives, getting married, buying houses, having kids. I'd been laid off from an IT job and temporarily started working as a coffee barista. I felt like a loser. I was 32 in a retail job, basically broke, depending on public transportation. Everything I learned from TLC as a teenager dictated that I was indeed a scrub. None of this is stuff I posted on Facebook. It was embarrassing. Why would I post that? So I tried to stick to good news or uplifting posts. Caitlin had two kids and seemed really happy on Facebook. I saw her pics and remembered how I treated her when we were together. Caitlin and I have known each other for just over 20 years now. We're friends. By the time Caitlin and I were more regularly checking in with each other, I was in a different place with my body. I had begun to engage in more fat liberation spaces. I was trying to give myself grace and think differently about what it was to be fat. I didn't always get it right, but I was trying to be better for myself and everyone around me. I was working full time as an audio producer. I bought a car. I didn't feel like a scrub nearly as much as I did before. But even though Caitlin and I had talked on and off over the years, there was one topic we never really gotten into. Why it didn't work out for us back in college. So I called her up and asked her to share her thoughts. I wanted to know how she felt about her relationship with me and her relationship with her body. When did she first become aware that people were treating her differently? Probably like second, first, second grade. I felt bigger than the girls, even though I wasn't huge at that time. Like I had roles that I that the other girls didn't have. And my father was very critical of my weight pretty much my entire life until this day. He'll still say stuff. I was very conservative with how I dressed. I didn't like wearing bathing suits, although I loved the water and swimming. And I wore these long jean skirts that covered my, I had no shape, but I thought that that hid me. She went to a private high school and there were a lot of well-to-do folks and people who just cared about the way they looked. Comparison quickly turned to judgment and not only judgment of skinny folks, but of other fat folks. So when I cover myself and I see somebody that's dressed with their legs showing or stomach or I'm like, why are they wearing that? Especially somebody of size. It makes me it makes me judge them. It makes me look at them like, why aren't you covering that? I'm like, oh, girl, shouldn't have been wearing that. 
It makes me uncomfortable because maybe maybe it makes me jealous, honestly. I wish I had that confidence. Like I wish I wish I felt good enough about myself to show myself off. That was who Caitlin was when she met me. A Ronald that was measuring her against his unreasonably specific standards. A Ronald who was so occupied about his own experience that he had no room to be concerned with how Caitlin felt. I felt like a secret. I felt you were ashamed of the way I looked. And that was why. Because I was cute. I knew I was cute. I knew I was pretty in the face. I knew I had a good sense of humor. I knew I had a good personality. It was all, I figured it was all physical. That's the whole, you know, so I felt ashamed of how I looked. And I always had. I mean, that wasn't something that was new. That wasn't the first time Caitlin has said that to me. The first time she said it, we were on the phone catching up. I remember she said, you were ashamed of me. I was quiet for a while because I didn't know what to say. I didn't know if an apology would be enough. But you weren't the first man that made me feel like a secret. So... I was 15. I was working at Splashdown Water Park in Manassas, and I was hooking up with my boss. So obviously that was not okay. But, you know, like he was a college kid and he wanted me and I was a sophomore in high school. And, you know, he was a soccer star and I was this fat girl. So that was the first. That was the first time. You were the second. When Caitlin said I wasn't the first guy to make her feel like a secret, It felt like a reprieve at first because it's like she was already familiar with the reasons why she was being mistreated. Like, Ronald, don't worry about this. I know what was happening and you didn't originate this behavior. That's not who I want to be, but it's also not who I want to have been. And listening to Caitlin now, I'm noting the way that she talks about herself, like earlier when she mentioned she was pretty in the face, or just now when she called herself this fat girl. It's not different from the way that she talks about other fat people either. I mean, nobody wanted a relationship with me. People knew I had, I was weak and would take what I could get. Um, there was one guy that I met, and um, we had a relationship going for a little while. Like, it wasn't anything serious. It wasn't anything exclusive. It was what he would give me, but bits and pieces at a time. I mean, he didn't take me out with his friends. Obviously, I went back internal, and it was like, well, it has to be the way I look. Because I know I'm funny and know I'm cute. And so I settled. I settled for what I could get, for just the little scraps. And I looked for the attention and affection of men to validate how I felt to validate that I was good and I was pretty and I was okay. And it was always the wrong man. And then Caitlin got her weight loss surgery. Looking in a mirror, I could physically see that I was thin, but I felt almost 300 pounds still because the weight dropped so quickly and I never took the time to deal with any of the emotional issues I had based on the weight. I had my second daughter in 2010, and um, there was a lot of complications, and I was prescribed a a pain medication. Um, And that's where, other than food being my first addiction, that was, you know, a substance addiction for me. Um, And I abused it when I could get it. Over the next few years, Caitlin would begin abusing prescription drugs, then alcohol. She would divorce her husband 
and enter a tumultuous relationship with a new man. She got a few DUIs, and her kids were taken away from her. She was even homeless briefly. I didn't know any of that was going on. I had noticed that she was posting a lot less frequently. But in what I did see, Caitlin seemed happy. She's smiling. Everything seemed perfect. I couldn't look myself in the mirror. I couldn't remember the last time I had looked in the mirror at myself. And I had a, an apartment at that time. Like, I could have, you know. But I just, I lo- one day I woke up and I looked in the mirror and it was after like a three-week binge where I thought I was going to die in my apartment. Um, and I looked in my front door and people had left flowers. Like, it was like my grave site. And I looked in the mirror and I said, I can't fucking do this anymore. Um, and so... I started working a program. How do you reconcile those memories now, whether it be me or anybody else, where you felt like it was you were getting scraps from folks? What's your relationship with those memories now? So I'm an alcoholic and I'm in AA and in AA we do steps Um, and it, so you work through your damage, your defects, your assets, all that stuff. So what I've done, the way I'm reconciling that is I, it's a fourth step. And it's where I write down everything, every resentment to anyone I've ever had. You're on that list. What would have happened if I weren't ashamed of being associated with Caitlin, a fat girl? How could our lives have been potentially different? Looking back on it. I always felt like I was treating you in a lot of ways the way most people treat fat people, which is like they're not like you're not less than. Yeah, you're less than. Mm -hmm. And your life isn't going to start until you lose weight. How significant is are those moments in your life between you and I? How significant are they when you compare them to the rest of your life? I have thought about it like throughout the years, you'll post something or I'll see your name somewhere, you know, and I'll be like, oh, that, you know, that could have been good. You know, we could have had our, how many years? Eight, 19 years? 20. Almost 20 years. You know, we could have been married with how many kids? And, and obviously, we weren't dating, dating. We just, whenever we get together. But um, but I think there could have been potential there. Um, but no, you didn't ruin my life. You were, <laughs> you didn't, you didn't destroy Caitlin. Um but you were definitely, when I wrote down my resentment list, um, you were definitely part of a pretty big pattern I had. But I do think there could have been potential there if if we had actually dated and not just been hookups. Yeah. Sitting in front of Caitlin as a fat person, I can't help but feel at my most insecure. I couldn't foresee that the tables would turn and that my feelings on weight and love would change and someday we'd be sitting here talking about it. We're not dating, no romantic intentions between us, but these are the feelings that weigh on me when I'm sitting in front of Caitlin now. I'm going to ask you a very tough question, but you have to answer honestly. And it might be at the expense of person sitting in front of you now. So you, like when I met you, we were, I was thin. Mm-hmm. Now I'm sitting in front of you. 
I'm fat. How do you feel about that? How do I feel about you? Like physically? Being fat. Like, how do you feel like there's a guy that's on your resentments list who is now sitting in front of you as a fat person? Mm-hmm. Do you have any feelings about that? And my hypothesis is that you do, but I don't know if you would actually say it, which is why I wanted to ask. Okay. Um, so about you, I, I don't feel differently um, as far as like friendship or anything like that. Like I worked through that, but physically, like I wouldn't date you now. I wouldn't be attracted to you. Um, I think I said last time I'm, I'm not attracted to overweight men and that's just how I feel. Like I would not see you out and be like, Ooh, yeah, I just wouldn't. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. You said to be honest. <laughs> When I was younger, I thought that the opportunity to love and be loved came far more often than it actually does. I bear the full responsibility for every opportunity I let slip away because I was a coward. I feel like I'm getting exactly what I deserve. Caitlin is much happier now. We still talk from time to time. I am happy with my life. I have a supportive partner that I have a healthy relationship with. Um, I have a relationship with all of my children now. Life is good today. It's, It's a little boring, but boring is way better than the chaos I was wrapped up in. Um... And I have people in my life that are going to tell me the truth, not just sit on a bar stool and tell me what I want to hear. Um, and they don't care what I look like. They really don't. It's all in my head. Don't go anywhere because in just a moment I sit down with Ron and things get real, real quick. Stay tuned. the snap judgment the wait for it episode oh you just heard his podcast but right now i get to talk to him in person ronald young jr welcome to snap judgment so glad to have you here brother glenn washington it is amazing to be here i am i'm giddy i'm holding it all down snap judgment has been one of my favorite shows for over 10 years so i'm just excited to be sitting down here with you uh to talk about wait for it this is this is wild this is a dream come true stop ron stop (laughs) stop stop yes go on ron go on um before we even get into it let me just say this um ron i i feel like i am Fat adjacent. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> <mean>? <laughs> 
<laughs> Say more about that, friend. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it's just wishful thinking. <laughs> but I see it uh, just this year. My weight has fluctuated by about 50 or 60 pounds. And hearing you be so open, it gave me the scaffolding to reflect on my own experience. Mm -hmm. And this whole thing is like, at the core was, do you like you? Yeah. I want to be a better me. I want to read more. Yeah. I want to travel more. Well, maybe I've given up the idea of being able to uh, slam a basketball. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but when does it go too far? Mm. And what's the difference between trying to do better for yourself and not accepting yourself for who you are? Man, uh, you know, there's a lot of messaging that we get from society that we are supposed to love ourselves, that we are supposed to love ourselves. And we also get the same messaging from the same society that we have to be the optimal version of ourselves in order to love ourselves. Right. Then we get the same messaging from the same society that the only way to become our optimal selves is to love ourselves. Recently, what I've been playing with the idea is that I don't think you need to love yourself, not physically, really at all. You really just need to accept and understand who you are. You really have to accept and understand your body. And I think with that acceptance and with that understanding comes this idea of staying more present and thinking about the things that you need in order to be happy in the moment, not to be happy at some distant point in the future, not to be striving for some goal that may never come, but rather, what is it going to take for me to wake up in the morning and be happy with myself today? And that's kind of what I've been using to survive. And it's kind of the only tool that has worked for me in terms of divesting myself from the number on the scale. Because if I'm thinking about the beach in the summer, <laughs> right? Like I think it, it thinks about, it, it kind of dictates ways in which anxiety becomes present in my life every day. And it, it kind of like puts me in a, a space where I'm thinking so far ahead that I'm not thinking about the ways that I want to be happy right now and the ways that I'm depressed right now. And I think that's what this like adherence to weight kind of does to us. It like puts us in this constant state of improvement when the idea is like you can just accept who you are right now and just think about what, what it takes to be happy today, not tomorrow, today. Mm. Maybe the beach is a metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> because it's not just the beach I'm waiting for. Yeah. Or preparing for. I mean, the thing that makes the world go round are relationships. Mm -hmm. The beach can wait. I'll give that. But I don't want everything else to wait with it. Yeah. I don't want, and you know, I, I want to show up for life. No matter if I'm optimal, if I've hit that, I've never been, I don't know, maybe there are some people who have been optimal. I've seen some optimal people actually walking down the street. I wonder if they know they're optimal. Yeah. 
Um, but like, I've never been up. Well, I, I guess, and I'm sorry to interrupt. Mm-hmm. I guess the thing that gets me is like, sometimes I think about like what you and I do for a living, right? We talk, we have shows, you know what I mean? We'll command a stage. We have a presence when we come into a room, right? And sometimes I wonder if like the most physically optimal people, right? The the ones who are in shape, who that have flat stomachs, whatever, they ever look at us and be like, yo, if I could do what Ronald or Glenn does, I would be perfect. I would actually be optimal. You know what I mean? And I think we we put so much weight <laughs> to pardon my no no pun intended. <laughs> we, we put so much weight on the physical that it it really starts to like beg the question of what else, what are other ways in which we are optimal in life? Ronald in the story we just heard, you asked a former girlfriend if she found you attractive. And she said no. And you took it like a champ. But I wonder how you really feel about that first of all it was devastating it was it was devastating uh when she said it it was devastating i you can probably if you've heard in the clip i tried to recover and you know there's a nervous laugh in there and but i also knew that she had a right to say and feel the way that she did uh and so it it was forget the right forget the right everyone's got a right (laughs) Ronald, everyone's got a right. Everyone's got a right to say. You asked the question, she gave you your answer. That was cool. Yeah. Your feeling. I was I, your real feeling. Yeah, I'm, I'm devastated, man. I was in the moment. I, I remember just being like, "Wow, that's uh, it's." I, I it felt poetic uh, in a way because, like, here was this person that I I mistreated, and. Here she is saying the thing that we we always say about our high school bullies or our high school crushes when we see them at the reunion or on Facebook and they gained a little too much weight. We say, yeah, that's why you fat now, you know, and I was on the receiving end of that and it felt uniquely hurtful. Uh, and I, I just felt like I felt like both like I deserved it. I deserved the pain. And I also kind of didn't deserve any sympathy in that moment. And I remember packing up my stuff and even her sensing that it had hurt my feelings and her like going to apologize and then me being like, nah, I don't, you don't really, it was hard to like even try to accept an apology from her because I'm like, one, I don't think I'm an old one. And two, I think that you, you were, you were okay to say what you said, but I still couldn't like shake the hurt from it. So I drove home like hurt. You know, I was dating someone at the time, texted her, just like, man, this was devastating. And the producer in me was like, well, this is going to be great for the show. But the the human <laughs> that, that was making the show, yeah, it was, uh, it hurt. It just, it was almost like she voiced the feelings of every other rejection that I've ever had that I imagined in my mind was due to my weight. She voiced that rejection, so... The story that you made about your relationship with Caitlin, you said something to the effect that as a young person, you thought that you had the opportunity, that the opportunity 
to love and be loved comes far more often than it actually does. Um, boy, that hit me hard. What do you mean? Yo, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you touched on that. Cause I, I think about that all the time. Um, I was actually writing that episode, you know, while I was processing a breakup with someone else. And when I wrote that line, I wrote that line because I was thinking about her, this new person that, that, that was not Caitlin, but I also knew that the line applied to Caitlin um, because the truth is when you are a young person, they, they tell you that there's, you're going to fall in love hundreds of times and fall out of love hundreds of times. And, and we say it so flippantly, especially to young people, especially when you get to like your forties and your actually your thirties, your forties and beyond, you start to realize, wow, these opportunities in which everything is aligned, i.e. I like this person. They like me. I get along with them. They get along with me. We want to be together. All of those things happening at the same time, they just don't, happen as often as we think. Right. Right now, there is an earthquake, and at least in the Western world, about body shape. Because now, there's a whole new class of drugs. On some people, they actually work. Yeah. It brings into question everything that we've been talking about for the past few decades, you finally get to the point where um, big people are like, look, um, I love me for me. Yeah. Here's a pill. Yeah. Do you take it? Oh, my God, Glenn. That's a question. I mean, I think the way I can answer that is, is thinking about an episode four of, of uh, Wait For It. It's called Decision, and it's with an opera singer named Tracy Cox. And at one point in it, she says something that really took me for a loop. She says, hey, if you got to do bariatric surgery, if you want to, you know, if you got to take GLP-1 drugs, if you want to hit the gym and lose the weight, and that's what you have to do, you feel like you need to do to escape oppression, then do what you need to do. And I believe in her, too, in terms of like that bodily autonomy, like do what you need to do to escape that oppression. Because we live in a fat phobic society that really it, it, it just doesn't want us <laughs> you know what I mean? it doesn't, it's not built for fat people it doesn't love fat people but what about that though ron what about that ron like i don't i'm i'm feeling the oppression from coming from the from inside the house yeah the calls coming from inside the I'm house feeling the call from inside <laughs> the house <laughs> and, you know i i'm i'm fortunate i have people who care about me yeah but i feel oftentimes like i got some work to do. I'm not done. Yeah. Is my supposed self-love fake? No. I mean, except this doesn't always mean that you wake up every morning and love yourself, which I think is a bit of a task. And I think a lot of people, they say it as if it's not a luxury. And if you look at all the things that we're dealing with that are in society right now, it makes it very difficult like, to love yourself when the world is actively... And, and Glenn, we're black. You know what I mean? The world actively tells us not to love ourselves. You know what I mean? It actively tells us to do things like that, you know? So like, how do you wake up in the morning and accept yourself when the world 
world keeps telling you you're deficient. You know what I mean? Like you can't, you can't actually do this. Um, until we can change that messaging out in the world, until we can like cast off, like kind of, I don't mean to get all to biblical, but cast off the chains of oppression until we can actually do that and change society. It feels like they are going to keep making pills. They are going to keep making drugs. They are going to keep giving you a weight loss plan or a workout plan because they want you to stay in this cycle of, of constant improvement and trying to do it. And I just, I think for like me and you, the only way we combat that is by staying as present as possible and accepting who we are. And I mean, buy a bigger shirt. But Ron, <laughs> Ron, Ron, um, I don't know about you, but right this moment today, yeah. as we speak, I'm on a diet and that that's um, okay. Like it, it's, if you want to do it for you, like I think the hardest part about all of this body positivity and acceptance and all that is is the idea of demonizing weight loss. The most important thing I would challenge you to say is like when you wake up in the morning, say, how do I feel? Do I feel OK? And what would it take for me to feel OK today? Um, but, Ron, what about you? Yeah. You've been really open um, about your own sort of struggles. Are you on a diet right now? I'm not. I, uh, I, I'm eating the things that make me feel good, um, which tends to be a lot more vegetables, uh, some good proteins. Um, I don't really restrict myself if I want something sweet or if I want to, uh, eat a little bit more, I really don't restrict myself in those ways. Uh, but what I monitor is kind of like how I feel about the stuff that I'm eating, knowing that maybe if I'm eating too much melted cheeses three or four days in a row, I don't feel so good. You know what I mean? And maybe I need to think about what is actually going in. But I think uh, the ideas of diets and the ideas of whole 30s and and keto and and Atkins and all that stuff, that that has to be behind me and off the table for me because I was just finding myself in a place where I just wasn't enjoying my life. You know what I mean? And I felt like there's, and it's funny, Glenn, because every diet that exists, there's another diet that says that that diet is the wrong diet. Cause I remember at one point I was dieting and I remember I had some yogurt, um, some like Greek yogurt for the protein or whatever. And somebody said, you can't be eating that. It's too much sugar. And I said, this yogurt makes me feel good. And I like eating it. And I think at that point, my mind started to break. I was just like, I can't, do what y'all are doing anymore. I need to eat the foods. I need to eat what my mother fed me growing up. I felt great and I was full. So that's how I try to eat now. <laughs> Riley Young Jr., thank you so much for being on the show, brother. I really appreciate you. The podcast is Wait For It, as in heavy weight for it. Um, it's available wherever you get podcasts. I highly recommend it. Ronald, thank you. Thanks for having me, Glenn. This has been amazing. Been a dream. Now, you have to understand that what you just heard is but a taste, an appetizer of Ron's show. Wait for it. The first season is out right now on podcast apps everywhere. It has my highest recommendation. And on the DL, I heard a rumor that even now, Ron is working on season two. I cannot wait. Wait for it. 
is a production of all its big bronze studios and is a proud member of Radiotopia from PRX. It was an official Tribeca selection, also picked by the New York Times as one of the best podcasts of the year. The original episode was produced and written by Ronald Young Jr. with editing from Sarah Dealey. And the version you heard today was edited for Snap by Regina Mediaco. Sound design and mixing from the Reverend John Delore of Starlight Diner. Theme music from Jay Red, with additional music from Mass Potential, the Artist DT, and the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Special thanks to Caitlin Scanlon, Jessica Taylor Dickin, Myra Mejia, and Dr. Caitlin Gunn. You can find all things Ron and wait for it at our website, snapjudgment.org. Put on your jacket, put on your shoes, but where can you put on someone else's skin, live in someone else's world? Right here, my friends. The Snap Judgment Storytelling Podcast. Share with someone you love and listen for free everywhere there is a podcast. Please understand, this is not the news. No way it's the news. In fact, you could bump into your old flame from a long time ago and thank your lucky stars it didn't work out even as you know they're looking at you and thanking their lucky stars for the exact same thing and you would still still not be as far away from the news as this is but this is PR.